Barry put up on the screen. And for those of you who are not here to see the image, I will actually describe it to you once it appears. Ta-da! There we are. Okay, this is an image of a bagpiper walking next to a regimental leader in World War II. This is actually a scene from D-Day. We were at the World War II Museum in New Orleans a couple of years ago, and I saw an image of this bagpiper and this regimental leader, and I thought, what? Because the image that we saw there was them at D-Day. This image is actually from D-Day also. Now, for those of you who don't know, apparently it has been a, a sort of a tradition for British officers to have bagpipers who accompany them. And this bagpiper's name is Bill Millen, and he was the official bagpiper to Simon Fraser, who, oh, another one, there he is, it's the back of the bagpiper. Uh, Simon Fraser, who was Lord Lovett, who was commander of the British First Special Service Brigade. Both of these men were terribly Scottish. And before D-Day, Millen, who was the personal bagpiper for uh, Lord Lovett's um, soldiers, tried to get permission to play his bagpipes at D-Day, and he, it was refused. And they said, no, because that just draws a lot of attention to where the people are and makes them targets. And Lord Lovett said, oh, but they came from British Army. We're Scottish. It doesn't apply to us. So Millen got his bagpipes, dressed it in a kilt. The kilt he wore, his father actually wore in World War I wore the socks, wore the shoes, everything the traditional Scottish Highlander would wear. Got his bagpipes, rode over on the landing boat with Lord Lovett, and they land, and he gets out in the water, and his kilt, of course, comes up and floats like a little ballerina tutu. And he said it was very cold. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so they walk onto the beach, and Lord Lovett says, okay, I want you to walk up and down the beach as our men get off of the landing craft. Now remember, as they got off the landing craft, he saw men being shot and killed all around him. And so Lord Lovett has just instructed him to walk up and down the beach. They had 2,500 men to get off the landing craft. Landing craft only held a few at a time. So Bill Millen walked up and down the beach playing his bagpipes while every one of those men disembarked. After they disembarked, he followed them and walked beside Lord Lovett as they went up to take out some German, um, I guess, artillery people. They were in a nest up above. And Lord Lovett, who was who descended from a lot of Celtic warriors, apparently, gave his rifle away to someone who lost his, only had a pistol and his waiting stick. And they went up and basically got rid of all the Germans in the little nest up there. And he's, he's still piping away. So they get up there, and their main task that day was to go inland and to back up some paratroopers who had landed the day before and taken a bridge. And so they were supposed to be there at noon and they were running behind. They were about an hour behind. And so he's got them like double timing. There are snipers shooting at them the whole way. They get about two or three miles away from the bridge, and Lord Lovett says, I want you to start playing your pipes. And he was like, 
do you think that's a good idea? Because like, they're shooting at us already. And he said, play the pipes, laddie. It will really help the soldiers to know that we are, while we're here, what we're doing. So Millen played the pipes. And so they went the rest of the way. And there were these guys who were at the bridge who were wondering, where is our, our reinforcements? And so as they, as they were sitting there, one of them said, I could swear I hear bagpipes. And the other one's like, you, you're daft. But after a couple of minutes, the one sitting next to me said, you know, I think I hear bagpipes too. And there was this great cheer that went up because they realized their reinforcements were coming. And there was this comment that I found from one of the guys who was there at the bridge and heard the bagpipes. He said, I shall never forget hearing the skirl of Bill Millen's pipes. It is hard to describe the impact it had. It gave us a great lift and increased our determination. As well as the pride we felt, it reminded us of home and why we were there fighting for our lives and those of our loved ones. Now, this bagpiper had no weapon, no helmet. You see, they're, they're actually wearing berets. They took their helmets off when they got off the boat. They swapped to their traditional berets. He had no helmet. He had no protection whatsoever. Millen was never injured. Never injured. His bagpipes took a little, a little damage, but he could still play them. It was from shrapnel. And so afterward, he was actually talking with a captured German soldier and said, how is it that I never got shot? And the guy, the German soldier, actually said, we thought you had gone crazy with the war stuff, and so we didn't feel like we should shoot you. Because <laughs> they thought he had gone nuts, basically. OK. So this guy played bagpipes all that time with no protection whatsoever. Amazing courage. Great courage. And so I wanted to start with that today because courage is my topic. Amen. And courage is defined as having fear and knowing the risk, but making a conscious decision to do it anyway. He knew the risk. You know, he knew he wasn't going to have a weapon. He knew that he would be the one playing the bagpipes. That, and, and apparently the Germans really grew to hate the bagpipes. They, were, they had been shooting bagpipers just to get them to stop because they couldn't stand the sound. But this guy made it through D-Day. They had 2,500 men who disembarked, and only 1,000 survived. And he was one of them. He was the only one not armed. And so we are very familiar with men and women having courage during wartime or some type of like natural disaster, some terrible event. But as Christians, we are called to have courage. And not just physical courage, but spiritual and moral courage in a world that does not understand us. I mean, you know that, right? They don't understand us. We are weird to them. They do not understand our beliefs. They do not understand faith. They do not understand why we love God. They don't understand why we, you know, why Jesus is so important to us. Because to them, he was just some, you know, philosopher who lived and died. But courage is apparently pretty important to God because it is actually mentioned about 35 times in the Bible. And the phrase, be strong and courageous, is mentioned 10 times in some versions. 
So this is where we're going to start. We're going to start with Joshua 1 in the Amplified, verse 6. If you don't have the Amplified, I guess you can just listen along. You're all very familiar with this anyway. And so in the Amplified it says, Be strong and confident and courageous. Be strong, confident, and courageous. For you will give this people an inheritance, as an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers or their ancestors to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. There it is again. It's the second time. Be careful to do everything in accordance with the entire law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may prosper and be successful wherever you go. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking there's a great benefit to doing what God tells you to do. Obedience. The, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall read and meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will be successful. Have I not commanded you? Let me tell you again. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or dismayed or intimidated, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I like that promise. He's always with us wherever we go. And so here, just in these three verses from 6 to 9, we see God has told him three times, be strong, confident, and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. Now, Joshua's going to need that. Well, first of all, he was taken over from Moses. I'm guessing those are pretty big shoes to step into. But, you know, God gave him some unusual ways to win the battles to get the Israelites their land, right? I mean, I think it would take a lot of courage to go in front of the Israelites and say, hey, God's plan is we're just going to march around Jericho a few times. And then on that last day, we're going to play some, some instruments and some horns and the walls are going to fall. I wonder how people took that. I think you have to have a lot of courage, not only to be a leader and get people to follow you, but to also believe this is going to happen. And then there was the time that he needed to defeat the Amorites, and he didn't have enough daylight, right? And so he asked God to basically extend the daylight. You got to have some courage to approach God like that and say, I need more time. I need more time here. So courage does not mean that you don't feel fear, but we don't give into it, right? Because it would almost be impossible to not feel fear in some circumstances. I'm guessing that Joshua felt some fear occasionally, but he didn't give into it. So if we look at 2 Timothy 1.7, and this is in the King James, the first version here, and you're very familiar with this, of course. And over and over, I think God tries to reassure us so that we don't have fear. Because I think he understands we're walking in a world here where we're not appreciated, we're not understood, and his solutions are often radically different from what we would come up with with our own brains. But in 2 Timothy, it says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and a sound mind. And then I found this version in the New Revised Standard. It says, For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Now, cowardice, that's an interesting word, because that's the opposite of courage, right? So he didn't, he didn't give us that spirit at all. And it says that he gave us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So spiritual courage is going to require that we have faith in and that we take hold of the promises that God has given us. God made promises to Joshua that allowed him to have courage in all of these situations. And it allowed the Israelites to have courage because they were the ones doing the battles, right? And if you think about it, what about Noah? I mean, Noah, we're not really sure how long it took him to build the ark, but somewhere between like 50 and 80 years. And every person who was living around Noah made fun of him. They thought he was crazy. And what courage it must have taken to continue building that ark every day because God had made him a promise and he believed that God would be faithful. I mean... I often think about that because I think for a lot of people, what other people will think drives so much of what we do. And it's, it's such a false thing to put any stock in. Because for one thing, it's very self-centered. It, it's like, I'm only concerned with what people think about me. That's wrong, and we shouldn't do that, but we do. And I, obviously Noah overcame that. But to live, you know, say 80 years building something with your neighbors walking by and making fun of you all the time. And everybody's saying, yeah, you know, he's got it crazy. But then when the rain started falling, who did they want to be their best friend? Right. But it took a lot of courage for him to actually do that. I know a pastor has said that we steer our lives according to the amount of risk that we're willing to take. And I think that is very insightful because courage is required if you're going to have any type of change. You have to have the courage to do it, right? If they hadn't done D-Day, D-Day was incredibly important to the Allies' victory because we needed to get into, into where Germany was, right, in France. We needed to do that. What if, what if we hadn't done today? What if we thought, well, you know, we're going to lose a lot, of, a lot of soldiers here. Maybe we shouldn't do that. They couldn't. They had to do it. They had to have the courage to do it. And it, it changed the tide of the war. So, in thinking about courage in our lives, we talk a lot here about the things that we are believing for. So if, do you have a financial need? Well, have you sowed for that? You know it takes courage to let go of what you have before you have what you need? You don't have enough, and you're going to sow it. That takes courage. So what, you need a victory in some part of your life, you have to make a change to have a different outcome because that takes courage. 
If you don't make that change, you're going to have the same outcome over and over and over again. You have to do something and have the courage to make a change. So I'm going to swap to the, the New Testament and let's talk about Paul. Let's talk about his, uh, his background first of all. From his birth, Paul was raised as a separated Orthodox Jew, a Pharisee. He, from a young age, was basically trained by some of the top teachers of his day. Paul was molded to become one of the religious leaders in Israel. And he then persecuted the church with great religious zeal because he thought that's what he was supposed to be doing, right? And then one day Jesus interrupts his life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something from Philippians 3.8. This is in the Passion, so if you don't have the Passion, I'll just read it to you. And Paul realized something major has happened in my life, and I can't go on the way I have been. So in Philippians 3.8, he says, to truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past, throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now, so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord and all of his greatness. I think Paul had a great realization that he really was a new creature in Christ. And with everything that he had been doing, everything he was brought up to be, was totally opposite of who Jesus wanted him to be. But think about the courage to step into that new life. In um, Philippians 3.13, which is um, a little bit later, but this is from the New King James. It says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he says, forgetting those things which are behind. Now Paul said he forgot what was in his past. Did he really forget? Could you really forget your upbringing? I mean, I'm not sure you could. I think what he meant was he made a conscious decision to break with his past. I think that's what he really meant there. And that would take a lot of courage because he was a very powerful Pharisee. His whole identity was built up in being a Pharisee and being a religious leader. And so he basically thumbed his nose at them. He moved into his new life and he became a new creature in Christ. But what did it cost him? It cost him everything. He was willing to do that. It cost him his standing in the temple. It cost him his family. It cost him his friends. Everything. But look what he gained. 
He said the past was like a pile of manure to him. I'm thinking family doesn't need to hear that. <laughs> right? But really, I wonder if his family disowned him. I have no idea what happened there. But if you think about it, his family apparently were very orthodox. He was raised to be orthodox. And then he comes out and says, oh, hey, I'm a Jesus person now. This would not go over well. But he traded all of those earthly accomplishments, all that stuff that he had been bragging on, he traded all that for a relationship with Jesus and all the benefits that believers are given. So it took a lot of courage for Paul to do that. And I don't know that I really thought about it, that in those terms before I started kind of looking at this. But it took a lot of courage. And so what keeps us from, from making decisions like Paul did, well, the, I think the enemies of fear, there are three of them, fear, fatigue, and loneliness. And these are things that affect us now. The devil tries to make us feel those emotions so that we will lack courage. And you remember when Peter denied Jesus? You know, Jesus is up there and Jesus told him already, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, oh, no, 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 I will never do that. And so Peter denies Jesus three times. Why did he do that? Fear. Fear. Because... These people have arrested Jesus. What would they do to me if I say that I know him? And also, I think there might have been an element of I'm alone. Nobody was with him. And so he was so concerned about what people would say or do that he lacked the courage at that moment to stand up and say, yes, I know him, and he was my, you know, my Lord. So... Um, if you allow fear, though, to overcome your life, you're going to be unable to make a change because you'll be too scared. And if you become fatigued, then you're going to believe you're too weak to summon the courage to stand, right? How many of you have felt like, well, I've been standing and standing and standing and I'm just tired of standing? And you start feeling fatigued. If you feel alone, you're going to feel inadequate. It's like, well, I can't do this by myself. You know, I just, I don't know where God is. I don't feel him. But the thing is, God never leaves us. So we're never truly alone, right? And he said that he gives us a spirit of power. He's our strength and that he never leaves us. But the devil lies to us to discourage us from taking new ground. Because he is very good with the lies. And he will make you say, Don't, aren't you tired of this? You know, nobody else is doing this. Why are you doing this? You know, did God really tell you to do this? So he's going to put all these doubts and fears in you to try to keep you from taking ground. And pastor said recently that courage rises to a crisis when it comes. And we saw that with Joshua, Right? always rose. And with Paul, he had great courage when that crisis moment came. I mean, for him, I guess it was a crisis. He couldn't see. Then the scales fall off of his eyes, and it's like, okay, my prior life, I'm done with it. This is what I am now. 
Lots of courage. So change requires courage. I would add that without courage, change is impossible. You can't. You can't move forward. You can't take new ground unless you're willing to change. And that requires courage. So courage requires that we do what Paul did. We forget the past. I know that there are people here, and then maybe people who are watching online, who have things that they have been believing for, but they feel stuck. And you know, I have asked for prayer a couple of times for my, um, my joints. And I'm about 75% of the way there, but I feel sometimes like I'm not, it's not moving the way I want it to. And so, when you feel that way, you can keep doing what you've been doing and getting the same result, or you can decide to make a change. And so recently, I felt like God showed me to do something, and I'm just going to share it with you today. I was reading about Paul and how he said that he forgot the past, and I, he just made a conscious break with it. And I thought sometimes when we have things in our lives that aren't moving forward the way we want them to, maybe it's because we keep dragging the past with us. And you can't do that. Like, if you're standing for healing, you can't talk about your symptoms all the time, right? Because what does that do? They remind your brain, oh, yeah, I've got symptoms. And that's focusing on the problem, not on the solution. So what God had me do, and I'll, I'll just throw it out there for you. It's totally up to you. But I just saw this line in front of me. And I'm back here behind the line. And if I'm behind the line, I'm, I'm in the past. Here on this side of the line is everything that I have felt, everything that I have done, everything that has been going on. But if I cross that line, when I cross that line, I forget the past. It doesn't exist anymore. If I have the courage to cross that line, I don't talk about the past anymore. I don't drag it anymore. It, it can't touch me anymore because I've made a conscious break with it. So if I cross that line, I'm healed. My need is supplied. If I cross that line, that relationship is restored. I don't talk about that anymore. Just like Paul made a complete break with who he had been, we have to make a complete break with where we've had our brains and where we've had our thoughts. And when you cross that line, it's all different. And you have to believe that. So you can't cross the line until you actually believe it. You have to have faith to cross that line. Because once you cross that line, you've broken with the past. And there's a lot of power in that, I think. And saying, you know what? I'm tired of being where I am. I need to move forward. And in order to move forward, I've got to break 
with the way things have been. And this is just a way for me to say, I've made a conscious decision to do that. And when you step over that line. Does that make sense? And he actually, God does this with me sometimes. He, he shows me things in dreams. And he showed that to me in a dream. And I saw myself up here telling that to you. Because wow. God is so good. Wow. He's just so good. And I don't know about you, but I'm working on the faith to step over that line. And when I step over that line, my joints are going to be healed. I will not be dragging anything with me from the past. That is a conscious thing that everyone in here can do, but don't step over the line just say, oh yeah, I'm doing that. No, 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 no. Make sure you have faith in what you're doing because change requires courage. Anybody can say, well, by Jesus' stripes I'm healed. But if it doesn't have that faith in what you're saying, you're not going to have the result you're looking for. Make sense? So don't step over the line until you know that you're ready to. And, okay, so you say you step over the line. You say, well, Melissa, it didn't, it didn't happen immediately. That's where your faith comes in, right? Everything is about faith. Faith is God's currency. That's what he's looking for. Faith. You have to have faith. You have to have the courage, the conviction of faith to move forward. And if you don't, you can go through the motions, but you won't get the results you're looking for. And another thing, if you do make that decision to cross the line, I want you to share that decision with someone so you won't be alone. Because remember, that was one of the things I named off that's an enemy of courage is loneliness. Let somebody know you crossed the line. You don't even have to tell them what it was. Just say, I crossed the line. We'll know what you mean. And one of the reasons I want you to do that is because, did you know that the word encourage comes from the same word as courage? It does. To encourage someone is to instill them with confidence and hope, to inspire them with courage. And I think that the church as a whole needs to do a lot more encouraging. I mean, I think in general, in, you know, in our congregation, we're pretty good with that. But if you step over the line, you need, you need to let somebody know so that they can encourage you, so that they can send you a text, so that they can you know, just give you a hug and say, I'm so proud of you for stepping over the line. You know, it's done. Um, just so that they can, they don't have to do anything big. Just so that they can give you some encouragement occasionally to make you feel like, I'm not alone in this. Because many of us need to know that we're not alone in this daily walk in a world that values the opposite of what God values. Because, you know, if you work and you go to the office and you say, hey, I just want to tell you, I stepped over the line and things are different now, they're going to go, what? <laughs> I don't understand what you're saying. That doesn't make any sense to me. But when we speak words of encouragement to those in our congregation, to those in the church, 
It helps to defeat Satan's attempts to make us feel lonely or tired or to give up. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I have things that I've been standing for, I get tired. And it's like, why is this not improving? What do I need to do? What I need to do is to get out of the way and let God do the work, right? I need to let his word work in me. Let the word do the work. But I spend half my time thinking, well, I wonder if I need to change so-and-so. Do I need to do these exercises? You know, what do I need to do here? And I'll be honest, one of the things that God told me to do for my joints is that I, I was taking a supplement for something else. It was just a, like a, you know, a, not even a vitamin. It was just a supplement thing. And God, just a little bitty voice in my head said, maybe you should not take that anymore. So I didn't take that anymore. Haven't taken it now in a couple of weeks. My joints feel better. Wow. Thank you. You know, I didn't have to really do anything. In fact, I stopped doing something. But God told me that. I'm not where I, I, I haven't made the finish line yet, but my eyes are on the prize. Right? That's what he said. He said, I'm going to forget everything's behind me, and I'm going to focus on the prize, the goal, the end product, where I want to be. So, I, I, hope, I hope that's useful for somebody. I, I, God told me to do it, so I did it. So, there. But he doesn't want us to be strong and courageous. He wouldn't have said it so many times in the Bible if it wasn't necessary for us to hear. We are not like the world. We're not supposed to be like the world. This is not our final destination, right? It is not. We are only here temporarily because of everyone here accepted Jesus into your life we know where we're going that is our ultimate goal but we have to have courage in order to do the things that God needs us to do while we're here you know he has individual assignments for every person in this room yes. and we're called to fulfill those and I don't know how you're supposed to fulfill yours. I have no idea, but God does. And that's where prayer comes in. You talk to him, and he gives you, you know, the insight on how to accomplish those things and what it is you're supposed to do anyway. But in Deuteronomy, you don't have to look this up, 36, 1, it says, Don't be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. And I was drawn to that because it says, don't be afraid or terrified because of them. And in that context, it probably meant some person or group of people. But them can also be physical pain. Don't be afraid or terrified because of physical pain. Just substitute it in, whatever it is. Don't be afraid or terrified because you need to pay a bill. Don't be afraid or terrified because of meeting a deadline. Don't be afraid or terrified because of a relationship that's gone sour. You can't allow yourself to be afraid. You can't do that because that is the opposite of courage. And he goes with us. He says he never forsakes us. So therefore, 
we are never alone. So our courage is in God, not in ourselves, right? I mean, the whole point of this is to get our eyes off of us and onto his promises. Our courage is in God because he never leaves us. I can depend on him. I can trust his promises because I have seen before that they worked in my life. I have seen before that they worked in your lives. Those testimonies that you give, they're awesome. They are so important to us because it helps my faith. It helps my courage to say, you know what? You know, this happened for Annette. It can happen for me. You know? I, so-and-so got healed. You know, Susan is a walking testimony. You know, it's awesome. And I look at Susan and I go, praise God. He is so good. He loves us so much. It's incredible. And we can all be healed. we got to have faith and courage. You've got to believe. You've got to cross that line at some point. So... Going back to the bagpiper, let's have courage as we walk through this world that doesn't understand us, doesn't know what we believe, thinks we're kind of weird, or maybe a lot weird, depending on what you say. But let's concentrate on taking new spiritual ground. So let's have the courage and forget what's in our past, because nothing can stand in your way if you'll do what he said, and that is to be strong and courageous. So that's, that's my challenge for you today. Be strong and courageous because he never leaves you. And if you have the courage to leave things behind and move forward, you will see more progress in your spiritual life. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for, for listening today. Um, and I believe Lynn will be up on Wednesday. Yay. Lynn's in the house.